everybody, it's Drags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I welcome the outstanding Chad Jennings covering all things Red Sox for The Athletic. You can and should be following him on Twitter at ChadJennings22. That's all one word and both numbers together, Chad Jennings 22 How you doing, Chad? I'm doing all right, Drags. How are you? I so am. It's funny. Uh, it's funny. Every time I think somebody brings up that, that Twitter yeah. handle, I know nothing yeah. about Jersey numbers. I am like among my friends on the beat. I mean, I, I can't tell you the most the most famous uniform numbers in the history of sports. And I've been a sports nut since I was a kid. And for right. some reason, I've always. So that's just my wife's favorite number. It really has no other <laughs> connection to anything. I just went for um, 22. I definitely am into uniform numbers and <laughs> I'm an NBA fan, grew up a Sixer fan. And my favorite player was not Dr. J. It wasn't Mo Cheeks, wasn't Moses Malone. It was Andrew Tony, the Raging Cajun, the uh, Boston Strangler, of course, Celtics fans uh, remember him very, very well back in the day. But number 22 was my favorite number in high school, wore it when I played basketball, all because of Andrew Tony. And that is my um, little uh, history lesson, uh, my personal insight <laughs> on who I was as a uh, awkward high school athlete. Now we're on to the subject at hand, the 2021 Red Sox. There's so much, Chad, to break down here in this, this episode. I'm really glad I have you on because a lot of ways we can go. We'll go with the obvious, first of all, how the Red Sox are 55 and 36 at the All-Star break. But they, they go in stumbling a little bit, uh, losers of uh, four of six going into the break. And two of four, at, I mean, uh, two of three at home at Fenway over the weekend uh, to the Phillies, who were just, you know, a middling team, a 44 and 44 team. Yeah. Uh, they looked a little flat over the weekend, no? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they could have swept that series. Um, I mean, the second game wound up being a blowout, but that was one bad inning. I mean, they... They could have and probably should have won all three. Um, and that's, and that's, look, they've done that this year, you know, right? Doesn't it feel like they've, they've kind of, that's been one of the reasons they've been kind of good is they've taken advantage of those moments. They've won at home. They've, they've, that, that felt like a series that in, in a, in even a decent stretch that they would have, they would have taken at least two, uh, you know, two out of three. And, and I really felt like they, they could have and maybe should have won all three. Um, but yeah, so not, they didn't end well, um, but they're, shoot. I mean, they'll take it, right? I mean, this is, they're in a much better position than they expected. No question about that. I mean, I, you know, I'm not looking to gift horse here uh, at all, but uh, the Red Sox are an interesting team to me. And the team that comes to mind when I look at the first half of this Red Sox season are the 78 Red Sox who played uh, just lights out, build up that, you know, epic 10 and a half game lead over the mm -hmm. New York Yankees could not hold on at the end, actually lost the lead, came back in the final week to catch them, force the one game playoff at Fenway. We all know how that ended. Um, but uh, that team could mash with the best of them uh, really, I think hit themselves out of a lot of uh, nights when the pitching wasn't there. Uh, this Red Sox team, a little bit the same, although I think the pitching may be a little bit better. Um, certainly Nathan Avaldi is having a terrific season. He's an all-star. And, you know, I think when you take a look at this pitching rotation, it has its bright spots. But what sticks out to me is I don't think this pitching staff is built for the postseason. I don't think they have enough starting uh, starters that you would throw out there in a postseason game and be confident. And I don't think their bullpen is near deep enough, even though it has been uh, very good over the last month, month and a half. Yeah, it's a, it, the pitching staff has been, I mean, it's been pretty good, but it, it for sure, I think 
as you can, everything about it is a, is kind of a, a maybe or an uncertainty, right? There's, there's just something, there's some feeling about this team where, you know, they don't have the ACE. They, they do, they did add, you know, they've been able to go one through five with the rotation and everyone's kind of been solid. They've never had, they don't have those games, you know, somebody will have an off night or whatever, but, but, you know, they don't have a game every turn through the rotation where you go, oh, this one's going to be a tough one, you know, but they, but they're, you know, they, they kind of, that's an uninspiring way to do it. Right. I mean, to, to just never have the, like that knockout punch. And even as you bring up the bullpen, I mean, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel that deep, but I mean, they pitched kind of deep. I mean, Barnes has been excellent. And then you look at, I mean, Adovino and Taylor and Darwinson and Salamora and Whitlock. I mean, those guys have been good. It, it yeah, should feel like a deeper team. It should feel stronger than it, because it, it has been pretty strong. It just doesn't, you don't know how sustainable it is. Uh, and Josh Taylor. Oh yeah. I mean, he's, yeah, he's been awesome. I mean, that, that yes. run was incredible. Um, you know, and, and, but also that run came after, I mean, a brutal month of April, right. I mean, he'd been terrible. And so I think that that adds to it a little bit where you're like, it's, it's just guys we haven't necessarily seen do this enough to feel real, real comfortable right now. To me, uh, I don't think we should be relying a lot on Chris Sale. He, you, we expect him to be back right uh, mm-hmm. late July, early August, right? I mean, yeah. that's he's going to be on track. Uh, he's already um, thrown uh, rehab starts, correct? Well, it's, well it's, he's been throwing sim games and stuff. His first rehab yeah. start, I think, is this week. But yeah. Oh, there you go. Uh, he's going to start um, throwing uh, in rehab outings. Uh, get him back, let's say, by right or actually, ironically, right around the trade deadline, mm-hmm. uh, let's say. And let's say he gives you 10 starts over the final two months of the season. Is that fair? Maybe yeah. eight to 10. Yeah, eight to 10. Yeah. Something like that. And, you know, he's somebody that when if he's on and he's giving you five to six out innings every night and they're 80 percent of what he was, I think that's the best you could hope for. Yeah. Oh, no. And I, I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I I don't think that you can look at him and expect him to be, you know, Cy Young per, you know, perennial Cy Young candidate, Cy Young, uh, Chris Sale, but I think he could be, I think that's the biggest boost they're going to get in the rotation, right? I just don't see them going out and trying to find some. Yeah. I just don't think it's going to happen. So so I think you're going to have to, you need, they need Evaldi to keep pitching like this, which is maybe not the, uh, dominant ace type guy but he's been very good if you, and you got to get erod to figure something out and and be more consistent and then get some version of sale and if you can run those three guys in the playoffs then, then now you're maybe talking about something you still don't have that guy you want right you still not gonna you don't have a i mean you certainly don't have a degrom or something like that that shut down guy but but those three give you know and all you're asking from them is is five innings at a time you know you can at least see how it could work you know, I, I in the past, I would expect the Red Sox ownership to have made a big push and, and tried to get a guy like Max Scherzer because, simply because if he is on the market and if he's available and given the dynamic of what's going on in Washington now, that he may be completely off the market because the Washington team may see an opportunity to say, let's just hold on to him, see what happens right. and uh, make a run in a very, it's still a very mediocre national league Eastern division. Um, but if he were available, he is the kind of guy that in the past, the Red Sox would go hard at 
now, I think, you know, given how Heimbloom is uh, constructing the uh, farm system, constructing the organization, uh, and with the blessings of John Henry and uh, et al., uh, I think you're seeing, you're going to see a different attack uh, attacked, uh, on uh, what they're going to do with the trade deadline. No? Yeah, I agree. And it's, I think it's going to be fascinating. I mean, it's, I, I'm really curious just to see the way he plays this um, because he, he, I, I do think that maybe, I mean, it's it. when you trade Mookie Betts, you're going to get this reputation quickly, but I think that he, I don't know that he's as, as anti build and try to win right now, as it seems, I think he's probably willing to do that. And he has enough, his, there's enough depth in the farm system now, and he's kind of facing probably a 40 man crunch this off season. So he probably needs to make some sort of move and, you know, you know, give up some pieces and, and do try to try to sort of fortify things here. But yeah, I'm with you. I just don't see him right now thinking this is the time. I think that there may come a time when he's ready to do that. There may come a time when he feels like, okay, we're, you know, he, like he even talked about the bets trade from the, when I talked to him in spring training, he talked about that the Dodgers were able to do the trade for bets because they'd done these other things and then they could make that sort of all in trade. And so I do wonder if he's going to build to the point where he'll feel mm -hmm. like he can make mm -hmm. that kind of move. That's an interesting observation. It, yes. And, yeah. Cause I'm, and that's, and I think that's clearly who he's modeling this after he's trying to be the Dodgers. And so there may come a time, but I think that right now he's, he, he has a vision for the way he wants this to work. And, uh, and really the first half of this season has been a little bit of proof of concept, right? That he can, he can have a long-term vision and still keep a contending viable, good team on the field while still maintaining his priority of, of something more sustainable. Speaking with Chad Jennings, doing an outstanding job covering the Red Sox for the athletic, be sure to check him out there and on his Twitter page, Chad Jennings, 22. I want to come back to that point about building the organization to a level where the Dodgers are now. I want to come back to that later when we talk the MLB draft. That's a little bit of a teaser, as we say, uh, in the business and in the podcasting uh, streaming business. Um, but for now, I want to go back, uh, take a look at what you're working on right now, Chad, for um, the recap of the first half, uh, some things that have surprised you uh, one way or another, and uh, what are some of the things that stick out the most in that feature uh, that you are working on for the athletic? Yeah, just, you know, kind of trying to think about why, like, why are they better than we thought? You know, I mean, I mean, and I think when it starts, I think just with their, their star players have played like stars. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is a big Man. JD Martinez coming back to be himself, Xander Devers, even, you know, Verdugo hasn't been as, as consistent, but just those, particularly those three guys in the middle. I mean, that's a big difference, right? And then when you add to that, that this felt like a team, as we've talked about, they, they don't have an ace. They came into the season without a closer, but they do have an all-star starting pitcher and Barnes has been out. So they, even though that felt like something they didn't have, right. That they didn't have really high end pitching either in the rotation or in the bullpen, but they've gotten that. I mean, they've, they have gotten high end performances in both spots. And I think that's made a difference too. There's something to be said too, for just, and I don't know if we, it's always hard to say like what impact does a manager have? What impact does clubhouse culture make? But a lot of come from behind wins, a lot of just, they have not played like a team that came off of a terrible season and were supposed to be bad. I mean, they, they've had this sort of, we're better belief kind of from the beginning. Maybe that comes from bringing in guys like Kike Hernandez and Hunter Renfro who were in the world series last year and, 
there's some like sense of just, they know how to win and they've, and they've done that. And I think that's, I don't know how to quantify that. I can't say for sure that's made a difference, but it seems to have been there. Right. And I think that's last year's team didn't, I mean, they just were getting beat up so quickly and the season was so short and there was so much going on. They, they just had no never pitching, had any. Literally. They oh, had they had, any. I mean, literally no pitching. And so they just knew they were in trouble every night, night after night after night after night. But and then it got these teams had there. something, man. They, 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 they do. There is some, uh, there, there's an energy to this team that's a little bit different. There's a vibe. And, and I think Alex Cora is responsible for that for one reason. In the time that I was around Alex, uh, covering the Red Sox on a daily basis up there. Uh, his accountability is second to none. He expects that of himself, his coaches, and certainly of his players. And with the accountability comes a confidence that if you're on the field for me, I know you're going to get the job done. I, I just have 100% confidence in you. He conveys that to you. Uh, and he's like, don't look in the dugout if there's a mistake. Just go about your business, move on to the next play, the next pitch. And and show me that, and uh, you're going to stay on the field. Yeah, he's. I think you're. I think you're certainly right, and he does a good job too. Of uh, he's a very. I mean, he's a smart analytics guy. He he likes the numbers and those, but he but but he has a good feel for the clubhouse too. And and I think the the ability to marry those two without leaning too far one way or the other, yeah. I, I do think that's been a that's been useful. You know, and then you know, especially you know, he has some. There's some kind of veterany guys here who who maybe he could. You know, he, he can play both sides of it, right? He can he can sort of go with the young guys or with the older guys and kind of help. He, he bridges that gap well, and I think that does add to some of that attitude and adds to some of that sense of, you know, we're down two or three, and Core has been talk, telling these guys all the time that they're the most dangerous lineup in baseball, and they believe it. You know, they go out and they hit. Even when they go through stretches where only three of them are hitting worth anything, they, they will believe we are the best, most dangerous lineup in baseball, and they go. Well, what's interesting about that, Chad, is that the Red Sox don't have one hitter that you fear. They don't have two. They have three legitimate guys that I think you fear at any point late in the game or could kill you. And their guys have been what you would expect them to be, like you said earlier. A team like the Yankees are supposed to have four to five of those guys and maybe one has really lived up to expectation this year. And that's that's the difference between a team like the Red Sox doing what they're doing and what the Yankees are doing. And uh, I just think that that really is something that sticks out to me and one reason the Red Sox are where they are. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they, the, the Yankees, again, it, it, some of it comes down to the guys who they needed to be big-time performers that the Red Sox have gotten. That's not to say they don't have holes. That's not to say that there aren't problems sure. and weaknesses. But, but when, you are, when you do have... When I mean your number one starter, your closer, and your middle three hitters are all five all stars. Those are that's big, man. I I think that's, I mean that's that's your your top reliever, your top pitcher, and your, the three guys you need to hit, and that they've all performed at that level. You know, I mean that's that that's that's twenty percent of the roster, right? That's performing yeah. at that level. That's that that can lift a lot. Speaking with Chad Jennings, covering the Red Sox for The Athletic. Hey, sports fans, bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all of the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs. That includes the MLB, NBA, 
NHL, and all of your UFC MMA action. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all of the uh, news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's very much free to sign up before the next pitch. Head on over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and take advantage of their 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on all of the action. Don't forget to use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, back with Chad Jennings covering the Red Sox for the Athletic. Tanner Houck, what is his deal? When can we see him pitching for the Red Sox? Yeah, I think, I think as early as Thursday. I mean, it, it could be, I think, right after the break, they could bring him up uh, to play one role or another. Um, but it's, you know, he's pitched, I think he's pitched okay down there. His last start wasn't that good in AAA. But he obviously was, I think they saw him as an important part of this team, whether he made the team or not. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, early on, it, during spring training, somebody brought up that the, the Rays – years ago when Chris Archer had this, he, he came up late in the year, pitched really well, and then didn't make the opening day roster. But he made like 20 starts for that team on a team where their five-man rotation stayed relatively healthy, and he still got 20 starts. I think that was probably a plan for Tanner was something like that, where he wasn't going to make the team, but he was going to be up enough to make a difference, and then he wound up getting hurt. So I, I, I think we're going to see him pitch – quite a bit because I think they know they've got a, they've got some workload issues here. They've got to make sure yep. don't kind of fall apart. So, you know, whether that's him coming up to spot start, whether that's him coming up to be kind of a, a three inning guy out of the bullpen, I think there's a role for, for Tanner Houck in the second half and, and we may see it play out sooner than later. So I've had uh John Sadak, uh, talented TV play-by-play announcer for the Cincinnati Reds for Valley Sports Ohio last week, and he had him on last week, and he has made the point time and time again. What's going to be fascinating to him, watching how managers uh, manage their pitching rotations and innings in the second half of the season coming off the 60-game COVID season of 2020. And to me, what you just said pretty much speaks to that, right? Oh yeah. I mean, look, I mean, these guys have the, the Red Sox top five starters have made every start since mid April. Right. That, that is, that's remarkable. And it's been a, it's, I mean, we talked we were talking about the reasons they've been better than we expected. That's a big part of it. I mean, health and, and durability and, and that's been a huge issue, but yeah, I mean, you do wonder how long can that, can that go? I mean, I think they wanted to give these guys more of a break and they just ha- didn't have the triple a rotation to do it. I mean, they're, they're top three prospects down there all were hurt. And so now I think there's, they're going to have to make up for it a little bit and they can make up for it with, with Tanner Hout kind of right away. Garrett Whitlock has helped that the best kid's been as good as he has gives you another option of a guy who can give you multiple innings. And then, you know, you wait for, for sale in a month or so. Um, but I think you're right. that It is going to be crucial for every team now to not let your pitchers blow out in the second half and to do that, or at least to try to do that, to try to play it safe. I think they're going to need a guy like how to play one role or another, either, either to spot start with some regularity to give guys a break or to just come up and know that you can shut a guy down at 75 pitches. And we've still got this kid to give us the next two, three innings. 
And uh, news over the weekend that uh, Matt Barnes has signed to a two-year extension at $18.75 million. Here's how I read this, Chad Jennings. Low-risk extension rewarding a player with whom they're very familiar and comfortable with at the back end of the bullpen. And I don't think, given how he's performed in the first half of the season, I think it's a nice little incentive for the second half. Yeah, and I also would read Darwinson Hernandez is going to be cheap for both of those years. Josh Taylor is going to be cheap for those years. Garrett Whitlock's going to be cheap for those years. Uh, Salamora is cheap again next year. They can afford to spend some money on one reliever because that doesn't mean they're going to have to blow a ton of money on the bullpen, right? You can, you can spend money on Barnes when you know you have some cheap arms ready to fill the next, the next spots because I don't know that I would have expected a relief pitcher to be Heim Bloom's biggest investment to this point, right? I mean, relievers are, do seem to be the ones that are the most interchangeable, the least reliable. So the fact that he picked Barnes and decided to give him a, a deal, I mean, one speaks to how good he's been and speaks to that he got better this year, not because his stuff ticked up, but because his approach did. And that you could keep mm. doing, right? He, yep. if, if he got this much better, it's not like all of a sudden, oh, wow, his fastball's four miles per hour, more you know that that's then I think maybe you'd worry but no he just he changed his mindset a little bit and that's a repeatable thing and so you'll trust him but I do think the fact that he that is the bullpen investment for the next two three years right then otherwise now you gotta you have these young arms ready to fill the other spots and and that makes it a little bit easier to put money there with the rigors of the Boston market but what you pointed out you also just said um Last year and years prior to that, it seemed like he would pussyfoot around the strike zone a little bit mm -hmm. and wait to really make his pitch later in counts. So that's not been the case this year. And probably one of the reasons I think would be Alex Cora, right? Yeah. And, and he's talked about that, that in spring training. I mean, Matt Bush and, and the analytics department just talked to him and said, and basically told him, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was something like if you, based on these numbers, if you were to throw a first pitch fastball down the middle, you'll have a positive outcome like 90% of the time, you know, whether that's a foul ball or they take it for a strike or whatever. I mean, it just, right. That, that, and, and I think that that resonated with him. Um, Cause he, I did a couple of years ago when he had that, that first sort of breakout season, his first big one, when strikeout numbers went through the roof and we did a story on why, like what made him better. And one of the big things he talked to I me, mean, he just flat out said, I think I can strike out three guys before I walk four. Right. Now that's all he was pitching to, man. And which is fine. But then, you know, you're going to, even if you don't walk four, you maybe walk two. And then that one pitch that you missed, they hit it for a home run and now you're screwed. And he, and he's, he's avoided that this year. I mean, his strikeout rate is exactly where it's been. It's just, he cut the walks in half, you know, I mean, just out of, just out of a boom, one mental adjustment, one change in his approach, strike walks cut in half. That's, that's huge. I mean, that's the difference between a sort of reliable setup man and an all-star closer. So here's one of the takeaways for me about Matt Barnes in the first half of the season, the Otani home run um, that allowed the angels uh, to beat the Red Sox uh, for the one game, I think in that weekend series, uh, that was the Otani home run off Barnes in the ninth. He didn't crumble. He didn't, it, 
didn't upset him like it might some guys. Mm -hmm. uh, and he bounced back very strong, like I believe in the next several uh, opportunities out of the bullpen. And that is just something to me that sticks out about a guy like Matt Barnes, because if you're going to be a closer, if you're going to be at the back end of the bullpen, whether it's Barnes with Boston, uh, whether it's um, San Diego's uh, closer, Mark Melanson, who has been mm -hmm. dominant, you know, the, actually baseball's best in the first half. He had a couple of rough outings. Josh Hader just got beat twice by the Reds in the ninth inning, back-to-back -back games. You've got to have a short memory. And I think Barnes has done a really good job of that. Yeah, I agree. And, and I mean, you know, you wonder if he, that, that experience he had in 19 when they tried to use him as kind of a super reliever, you know, only face the heart of the order over and over again. And, and that, that, that was sort of a, uh, a, a sabermetric -y idea that that Cora admitted afterward just didn't work. It didn't take the personal side of it into account. You wonder how much he maybe learned from that experience. Did he learn too from the experience of pitching with with Kimbrel for a while? I mean, he's he's seen guys do it right, and 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 he's been around. I mean, gosh, he's thirty one years old. He's been in this market People his whole career. That. I forget that. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Old. Yeah. So so I think that just yeah, he's a guy who you know he is a first year closer. But he doesn't have that. There's a mentality to him that you that you don't worry that this is sort of a, you know, will he be able to keep closing? Like, I don't think the ninth inning really bothers him. I mean, he can. Yeah, he, he can move on when it goes south pretty easily. You know, I mean, right. He's a veteran. Uh, he's been in that closer role this year um, for several months now. But it's and but still that moment against Otani that, mm -hmm. that can, you know, devastate a lot of pictures sure. and frustrate them. And it didn't with him. And that's why I think having him at the back end of the bullpen, the bullpen's certainly been one of the big surprises of 2021, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, again, you know, I mean, you can't forget that, you know, not only did we not know if Barnes was going to be able to close, but then, I mean, the season started with Josh Taylor and Adam Adovino, neither one pitching very well. Salamora was a total unknown. Gary Willock's a rule five kid. I mean, th there were uh, it, plenty of ways that this movement could not work. I mean, it had, it had more potential problems than it had solutions, but every solution's shown up really. I mean, they, they've, they've gotten, they've gotten what they needed and it, and it started with Barnes taking over that role in the ninth, which has let, which has let Cora work backwards, right? When he knows he, he the ninth inning is set, then he can mix and match with those sort of, uh, those setup guys and, and use them the way he wants. All right. We uh, promised you that I would get back to the moment we teased earlier in the podcast about uh, Heimbloom, the Red Sox uh, president of baseball operations, storing chips, if you will, building up his organization. And this is a great time of the year because I love what MLB has done with the draft, uh, moving it to the Sunday of the All-Star break, at least this year. Uh, and on Sunday night, the Red Sox not taking Kumar Rocker, uh, the Vanderbilt uh, starting pitcher with uh, dynamite stuff, instead going with 18-year-old high school shortstop Marcelo Mayer out of Eastlake High School in Chula Vista, California. This, to me, Chad Jennings, is more about taking potential first-round value as an asset as opposed to taking a true need. Your take? Oh, yeah. No, it's certainly not a need-based thing. I mean, yeah, they they... I think it's just looking at that this kid is he may be the most talented kid in the draft and there's some risk with every high school kid. They felt like they'd spent a lot of time with him. They sort of, uh, they, they really noticed him when he was a sophomore. So they've been kind of on him for three years. And, um, but yeah, for sure. If they, if they wanted to hit for need here, it, it would have been, I think 
rocker would have made some sense. Just get a good college arm, but you also don't, you want to make, take advantage of drafting this high. I mean, when else are they going to pick number four in the draft? And this is, and, and Marcelo Mayer is a top, he is a number four in the draft talent, right? I mean, now there's a risk with all these guys, but he is a, he's the guy, this guy could be really elite. And, uh, and I just think that's a hard thing to pass up if it's sitting there. Yeah. And I, I don't have a problem with it as much, but it's just going to raise the eyebrows of some who say that, you know, the, any team that wants to compete for a world series is going to need young, controllable, upper echelon pitching talent. And that's why to me, especially given Heim Bloom's reputation of developing elite young pitching. He's very familiar with Vanderbilt, obviously, uh, in, in the talent that he's had down in Tampa Bay. Not taking uh, Rocker at this point, uh, just raised my eyebrows a little bit. That's Yeah, all. sure. And, and, I, and it does seem, too, that the industry kind of began to value him a little bit differently, right? As, as we, I mean, he was the standout guy and then kind of had an uneven season, and that, that does seem to change you know, the way it does seem to have changed their calculation, right? It wasn't, it obviously was not only, he fell to what, 10, he went to the Mets. Yes, um, correct. And so, you know, it's uh, for a guy who seemed like everybody was going to trip over themselves and tank for Kumar last year and all this stuff. It's, it, it wasn't just that it might not just be, they're trying to get this. They'd rather have this high end, you know, high school shortstop. It may also be just a, a, a an evaluation now that's telling them rockers, maybe not that, the high-end starter that, that we kind of thought he was. Right. I mean, we all knew Jack Leiter was going to go right. three, right? I mean, that uh, was a given going into this draft, and he eventually went second to the Texas Texas Rangers. Um, and pictures were, let's see here, uh, taken – well, the first picture taken was Jack Leiter. The Pirates didn't go that direction. They went Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville, which um, – a lot of people had maybe the Red Sox. I believe you, mm-hmm. Chad, when, when you were doing a preview, you had the Red Sox taking a good hard look at him. If he oh, yeah, yeah. And I, thought, I felt like that the, the directions they could go were basically one of the Vanderbilt pitchers, Davis the catcher, or one of those high school shortstops. And I think if it, what, what I think would have been curious is if, they, if, if Mayer had gone third and they're left with, would they have gone Kumar Rocker there? Or, or then at that point, you know, would they have, uh, would they have done like kind of a below slot thing and tried to spread the, spread the money a little bit more? I, I don't know. Cause at that point, I don't know if there was sort of a standout elite talent. You know, I think just mayor was too much of a standout to pass up. Right. Um, so that I would have been curious to see what happened there. Cause when, when Davis went one, my immediate thought was, Oh, wow. They, they may have just lost <laughs> that. That felt like they're uh, if they can't get lighter, they can at least get Davis. And then that felt like, Oh man, this, this could really go South on them in a hurry. I was watching some of the coverage and Dan O'Dowd made the point. I'm here in Cincinnati. My daughter goes to Miami of Ohio. You know where I think I'm going with this. Sam Bachman, uh, the right-hander out of uh, Miami of Ohio, uh, went right before Kumar Rocker. And he was pretty stunned by that, like really stunned. And he said, something doesn't add up to me about the kind of arsenal uh, O'Dowd kept referring, using that word to refer to what Rocker has. He has a much more superior arsenal than Bachman does. And Bachman's got, he can reach triple digits. He's got a hammer slider. Um, he's just got a very, very good couple of pitches, but doesn't have the arsenal Rocker has. And and he just was stunned that uh, Rocker fell all the way mm-hmm. down to 10 to the Mets. 
Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's 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 hard to the, the number of things they're trying to take into account, right? Trying to predict, you know, what they're whether these guys can can improve and what they have, the evaluations, and also the and there's a there's certainly there's a money calculation in all of this, and so you know that the, some demands there might have swayed some teams in a different direction as well. You think Marcelo Mayer is going to wind up with the Red Sox when he makes his major league debut? Maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's the guy they trade for the next Mookie Betts, whatever that move is down the road. But I, I, again, I, I think it's there. There's so many things with the Red Sox right now with with Heim that it's just hard to know exactly what what are the next five years going to look like. And and I think that the you know the easy assumption is like oh he's going to hang on to all of them and and yes of course like that's the whole point of all these guys is to but I don't think that I don't think it's that cut and dry for him. I do think that he there is a sense of, you know, players are assets. And, yes. and so, so I, and, and if they are, if by the time he's almost ready, if, if mayor is in triple a in whatever three years and they're right on the verge and they've got some guy out there that they can get, I mean, who knows if at that point Heim is going to be in a point where he goes, all right, nope, now this is when I go, right. This is when I'm going to go for it. And we make that move. I just think he talks a lot about wave after wave, after wave, after wave. And so as much as, you know, that this kid's 18 years old and what, four years away, maybe best case scenario from the big leagues, but he likes that. I mean, he took Nick York last year in theory. He's got a, he's got his middle infield for 2025 sitting <laughs> at the lower levels of the system. And he, I think he likes that wave aspect of it, that they, those guys might hit at just the right time when he needs a couple of cheap high-end position players, but they might not. They might, they might come at a time when he needs a, a trade chip. And, uh, and, and I just think we don't know yet what a, we don't know exactly what this long-term vision of Himes is. Um, so I think it makes sense though. What we're seeing is we're seeing though, the way he's arranging the chessboard, right? He's, he right. is giving himself there are pieces here, there are pieces here, there are pieces here, there are pieces here. And he, he's got it set up kind of, you can see him, you know, the, the Benintendi trade, he got, those the three players we named later are all young kids the long way away he he is setting up for he's setting himself up to be ready for various things that come in the next few years and um and so just we're gonna have to but i think we're gonna have to wait and see exactly how he how that plays out because we've never seen him and he's never been in a position like that where he's with a team that both has that talent and has money to spend and uh and so that's that's going to be the thing to watch Red Sox with 55 wins at the all-star break. Uh, we're saying conservatively here with still half a month left in July, August, and September. They ought to win at least 40 more games. That puts them at 95 wins. Mm -hmm. That's good enough to get them, get them into the playoffs, right? I mean, there's no question about that. Well, I mean, it should be. It, it, you know, I think you, you do, you know, so what, two wild card spots? I mean, you do worry, you know, Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays. I mean, that's you know, that's, that's a dangerous group. And yeah, but yeah, I mean, they certainly are in a position where you have to think they should make the playoffs at this point. Yeah. I mean, 95 wins should get them there. And I, yeah. I don't see the Yankees or blue Jays both getting hot at the same time. That's one, two, mm -hmm. I think Tampa Bay is going to be there. Um, I haven't taken a look at the schedule. I don't know how many more games uh, they have left with Baltimore. They should win pretty much all of them. Um, but you know, 
you look at the schedule uh, on the back end, it gets a little bit more difficult, right, uh, coming out of the All-Star break because they have so many games now coming up with the Yankees and Blue Jays. Oh, yeah. I think they have, what, eight games against the Yankees coming right up, right out of the game? Is that right? And, and they uh, have, I think, eight uh, eight against uh, Tampa Bay. They have, yeah. in the next three weeks, they have 16 games against those two teams. Yeah. I mean, that's and, – and so, I mean, maybe that's your season, right? I mean – yeah, you want to figure out where you're going if you're going to if this thing's for real. Well, you need to prove it right there. I mean, right out of the gate, right out, right out of the break. Um, they they need to play well, and and you know, ideally you you kind of really bury them at that point. But they've given themselves enough of a cushion where if they can just they've just got to fend them off, right? You just you really just can't get beat up there, and uh, and then you're still sort of in a pretty good position. Anything else we should be on the lookout for uh, from you or your colleague, Jen McCaffrey at the athletic. Uh, I mean, we're just, I think right now we're at the, <laughs> we're, Take a we're, breath. we're, we're very much in all-star break mode of going, all right, let's regroup here and figure out good. what we're doing. Um, but yeah, you know, we've, we've started and we're, we're traveling again now. So that's been good. That's and, you know, feeling like we can get on the road. Jen's going to go to New York after the break. I'm going to Tampa yep. at the uh, trade deadline and, um, you know, it's, so it's starting to feel a little bit more normal again. And then, and then you start to feel like, you know, you can maybe hit the ground running with some things and, and, and hopefully, you know, get some traction going again after the break. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Chad Jennings, covering all things Red Sox for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Chad Jennings 22. That's all one word, Chad Jennings 22. Also want to thank our terrific sponsor, betonline.ag. I'm Mike Petralia, and for Chad Jennings, this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media.